0: Well, hi friends, and welcome back to the dinner table. I have had the joy and experience of having my friend Martha Hyman at the dinner table with me tonight. And Martha actually brought
1: something interesting that she wants to share with us. So I want to let Martha go first. Hi, Aislinn. It was wonderful to have dinner with you. One of the things I've brought to the dinner table is a deck of cards that I use in my work as an end of life doula. Mm -hmm. Um, It is called the death deck. And it is a way for me to uh, bring this often um, difficult conversation to people's spaces uh, in a way that has a thread of humor in it. This this deck of cards was created by uh, a hospice nurse Mm -hmm. and a widow about a year after her husband died. They sat around and were having a conversation about why she didn't know the things she should have known and the why. ever going <clears throat> conversation. Correct. <laughs> right. The one, our culture has a very hard time yes. having. So, yes. um, so they created this deck of cards. It has, uh, some of the questions are open-ended questions. Some of the mm-hmm. questions have ABC choices. And, um, one of the things I do in my work is I host or facilitate death over dinner game nights at people, my own home or other people's homes. Interesting. Um, and the, it's around a dinner table mm-hmm. um, okay. with a very few people. And the, it's, the occasion is not about the food. The food is very simple. It's always a soup and a salad. huh. Um, the instructions to the hostess is don't set your table. Don't put a lovely centerpiece on as much okay. as you want to. As people, as your friends come in and you only invite as many people as you can sit around your table, they each do something. You'll, you'll have one, toss the salad you'll have one stir the soup you'll have one put the placemats down and by the time everybody has gotten there it's been a collective of uh everybody being a part of this meal it's not just the hostess whose home you're having it in but everybody's done it it's a community event now like the whole point of the podcast and bringing people to
0: the table now the way we're formatting is come here, have dinner with me. We're going to cook a meal together Mm -hmm. and then we're going to sit down and talk Mm -hmm. and then we're going to record a podcast afterwards. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a level of safety to create this like dinner table conversation that is simple. And and then when you share items and you share cooking and you share preparing or whatever, it creates a level of safety,
1: I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm doing once the table is set is I'm taking some of these cards, three or four of these cards, and I'm tucking them upside down under people's placemats. Mm-hmm. And then I'll facilitate uh, the beginning and somebody will flip open a card, which I'm going to have you do in just a second. Okay. And we're going to see what kind of conversation it starts. Okay. And everybody can answer the question around the table or the person who flipped the card can just answer the question. People can pass, flip over a card
0: so this is very similar for everyone for the table topics random questions that we do at the very end and so yeah this aligns exactly with that i think and all right so i'm flipping my card over and it says this is going to be interesting (laughs) (laughs) with me especially (laughs) you are diagnosed with a serious cancer you want your doctors to a lay it all on the line b just focus on next steps and not overwhelm me. C talk realistically to my loved ones. Stay optimistic with me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Lay it all on the line, focus on the next steps and not overwhelm me. Talk realistically to my loved ones. Stay optimistic with me.
1: Yeah. So that's not, often something somebody will begin a conversation with, but it's a really important conversation to have.
0: Yeah. And it's an interesting conversation because it's not just like, oh, well, what would you do? It's like, here's some scenarios Mm -hmm. and what, which one of these scenarios seems to match, like how you would want to think about this. And I, okay, so the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, B where it says, just focus on the next steps and don't overwhelm me. Um, I think that that's kind of generally how I like to handle life, mm-hmm. um, and, and that gives me time to problem solve, um, so that, that was my first thought. But then my second thought is because of the way I am about the medical industry and about the traditional, cur- current-day, modern, traditional methods of care mm-hmm. for cancer. Um, I think I would need them to lay it all on the line and then I can go one by one through the steps to make decisions on, you know, uh, how I move forward. Cause I do get overwhelmed well, and too be- much.
1: The beauty of it is it can be any one of those things or uh-huh. it can be all of those things uh-huh. at different times. Uh-huh.
0: It, yes, that that's what I thought of actually. Well, I could see myself doing that. Okay, you're gonna need to talk realistically to my loved ones, but at the same time, that doesn't mean now my loved ones need to over um, overwhelm me with what I should do mm-hmm. with my own body. You know, That was the first thing that came to my mind with that. So this is a fascinating conversation. And when I um, first got Introducing you and I have known each other for a little while, but I didn't know that you had gone into um, this business. And when I heard that and that you were interested in us talking on the podcast, I I was like, yes, immediately, (laughs) because I this this conversation has been a conversation at the dinner table for many years. It's been a conversation at the dinner table over the last couple of years because we dealt with the passing of Joe's parents. Mm -hmm. And then it's been in the conversation, at the dinner table, because I have this different kind of feeling about the entire medical system and also, um, terminal illness and what's considered terminal illness and how we handle terminal illness and, um, calling things terminal illness that, that people don't die from, (laughs) you know, like, I think that I have a lot of like thoughts about this. So I think that what's really interesting about open conversations about this kind of stuff is the idea that you might be surprised at what someone says, if we give them the opportunity, I imagine you find that a little bit at the tables. When oh, you absolutely. Dinner. Yeah, it yeah. happens
1: all the time. Yeah. And sometimes people don't even realize what they've been thinking. And oftentimes they've been thinking what other people have been telling them to think. And then when they're suddenly finding themselves in this open dialogue with other women who they know, yeah. Um, and they're hearing all these other thoughts, they're like, oh wait, no, I don't think that way. I'm much more interested in this.
0: Yeah, that, uh, when we give people freedom to say things that aren't in, in within the traditional box of what we've been told we're allowed to say. Right, I think yeah. that's a huge part for me at the dinner table is that conversation and having different people come here to the dinner table with me means we can talk about things and that, that's one of the things that I have actively worked towards more and more over the last couple of years is that if we don't say, the pandemic probably is what really launched it for me. If I don't speak my truth, even if you don't like me because what I believe my truth is, then all the truths aren't being spoken. And then there are other people out there that could go, oh, I might actually have a feeling more similar to yours than what I've been told I'm supposed to feel, kind of took it on a little bit after the pandemic to say, we've got to state things that we might feel that are different than how other people feel it. And I think that um, one of the things that I've found in my experiences with going through um, the process of end of life and having those conversations with people because we don't want to talk about those things is that we're we're afraid to talk about them. Mm-hmm. We're afraid to have those conversations.
1: Well, and part of it too is, is we're busy carrying on with our lives, our daily lives also. Yeah. So. Um, and who
0: makes that an important conversation? You know, like yeah. who, who wants to talk about death at
1: the dinner table? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly, right. Yeah, I mean, people get my invitations, death over dinner, game night. What does that mean? Martha, uh-huh. what are you inviting me
0: to? <laughs> I imagine though, being a little bit that I know of you, imagine being from you, at things. Don't surprise people. You're kind of like me when something really strange comes out from you. People
1: are probably not surprised I by had, it. I had one friend <laughs> that said, I don't understand what this is about, but I trust you. And yeah. I, I want to come because I want to support you. Yeah. And she was the last person to leave my house Yep, saying, why aren't we talking about this all the yeah. time? I, she was just amazed at that she had all these thoughts inside. She was amazed that other women she knew had all these thoughts inside. And it was just a wonderful experience for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy the opportunity to give people the opportunity to talk about things that might not normally be talked about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm appreciative of you bringing that to the table. This is an interesting one, speaking of death, right? Um, I had Andrew Edelin and his wife. You go to the farmer's market pretty regularly or you have Mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's actually where we originally met, was back at the farmer's market in the original days. And um, Andrew Edelin is one of the uh, meat farmers, livestock farmers, but he also grows vegetables and things like that. And him and his wife were here a couple of weeks ago to record the podcast. And we have been in this strange loop where I, it must be God. That's keeping us from actually recording the podcast together because there's been all of these little strange things that don't make sense that have not happened for any one of the other podcasts. And there were, there was like, uh, episode one we had an issue episode two we had an issue episode three so we've tried to record the podcast together three times it hasn't happened but the whole goal of the podcast was we were going to talk about rabbits and because i've got rabbits here now and he has rabbits and he's been through his first year of having rabbits rabbits for meat um and we we cooked rabbit and so we're going to talk about that more in the future and when when the edelins get to actually come on the podcast but what i wanted to share was i went over and hung out with andrew edelin last saturday and we actually processed rabbits so it's the first time that i've ever had the opportunity to kill the rabbit to take the skin to uh to clean the guts out of the rat all the whole process of dealing with that, and so that's been kind of a new thing that's on the radar of what's going on. Do you eat rabbit? I do. I have. You have? Yeah. 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 Um, what do you think
1: about that? What, what are your... What do you... you about that? you having that experience? Uh, yeah. I think that's marvelous. And
0: also, what do you think about rabbit? <laughs> like the flavor
1: <laughs> of rabbit, too. <laughs> you know, I don't remember. It was a very long time ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Like I said, we ate rabbit together, and then I'm curious to see how other people, but there's lots of chefs in towns that are super excited about rabbit. So I'm excited to okay. do that. So that's one big thing that's been on the radar is that the rabbit is coming higher on the list. And then the second thing that's been really fun, and we're moving into the summer out here at the farm, of course. So the shift from lots of produce to sell to um kids on field trips is happening Mm -hmm. so the last two days i had the ingleside recreation center um summer camp brought their kids and we had such an excellent time Um, I talked to them about rabbits and what was happening with the rabbits. Uh, I explained to them the difference between a bull and a steer. (laughs) Like (laughs) we talked about the mushrooms in the soil. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like all, of course they love the chickens. They always love the chickens. They love the the, the ducks and the baby ducks. And so field trips are something that's going on out here at regularly at the farm. And I was telling you there's summer solstice event coming up on June the 21st It's, it's. June the 21st is actually summer solstice. So I decided to do a garden party and we've had so much delicious, the grapes, the, the wine, we drank a little Mm -hmm. bit of the wine tonight. Yes. So we've been talking about that, the red wine vinegar that we've been processing. Um, so we're going to have a really, I went to the farmer's market on Wednesday and picked up some smoked pork loin and some Florence de France, uh, uh, I don't even know, some kind of herb feta Wonderful <laughs> from the dairy, dairy, sorry, from the goat dairy people, um, Lorborough Farms is what they're called. And so that event's coming up. If you guys want to know more about that event, you know how to get a hold of me, send me a message so that you can come out here. We're going to do some sun gazing which is really good for our, you don't actually have to stare at the sun, but just watching the sunset. Apparently what you're supposed to do on summer solstice is you're supposed to make sure you catch the sunrise and make sure you catch the sunset. So that's going to be my goal on June 21st, catch the sunrise, catch the sunset. And somehow is part of helping us out with some of Wonderful. the circadian that. rhythms that we're trying to do. Yeah. We may do some kind of meditation okay. or something Okay. You've motivated like that. me so to do it now too. Yes. Yes. Um, and then I also have another cooking class, the food is medicine cooking class coming up on June the 27th. So a couple of more things going on and I'm reintroducing a thing. So I've been telling you, or I told you this tonight and I've been telling the dinner table for you know months now that I've been practicing this autoimmune protocol diet. I did the full 120 days, and then I started reintroducing things. And the biggest thing that I've reintroduced in the last um, couple of weeks, which included the meal that we're gonna have tonight, that we had tonight, was tomato sauce. So I put tomato, so I actually made, I'm gonna talk about it in a minute, but I made a spaghetti and tomato meat sauce. But the thing I wanted to talk about that I reintroduced that was a problem, I figured out. So I had gone a few days too long, so the thing i really wanted to talk about in terms of reintroduction is i had gone i got real busy last week and i gotten to the point where i didn't have as many groceries in the fridge and i was snacking on the last of all my little like autoimmune snacks and things like that and so i probably went to the grocery store hungry and <laughs> um and i still did really good i bought all my autoimmune you know foods the only things that i'm reintroducing up to this moment this time as vegetables from my garden. So tomatoes from my garden. Um, uh, I, I ate an avocado the other day that didn't come from my garden, but like just things, natural foods that I would normally have eaten anyways, but I was over in the natural food section and they had these little date ball, like th- type things mm-hmm. where it's date and cocoa. And, um, and it was in a little package and they were little balls and inside the balls they had, um, something with peanut in it, Uh, something with cashew in it. Yeah. And it, it absolutely made me sick. And Uh, so I don't know, I'm guessing it was probably peanut. I'm guessing that's probably the like trigger allergy thing. Um, I haven't, but, and, and it was a full on, like my whole insides, like cramped up. It wasn't any kind of like strange, like bowel movement. It was just this like, like my whole inside went, no, thank you. I do not want this. And so that's my first real, Mm -hmm. like, like straight away. We don't want that. So I've introduced all kinds of vegetables. I've introduced potatoes. I've introduced green beans. I've introduced tomatoes now and tomato sauce from a can even now. Um, so on Monday, I guess it was, I just decided I wanted spaghetti and meat sauce and it was happening and so i found a simple recipe which i hardly even use the recipe but basically it was all the things i have from the garden right now Mm -hmm. onions celery um i think i might have thrown some beans in there some squash um, carrots whatever leftover carrots i had so basically just like any vegetable i could think of went in Um, I did ground beef from my friends at Turkey Hollow that we talked to last week and made a super simple, just kind of like a bolognese, but used tomato sauce with it. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And it was excellent. I made, um, a few weeks ago, I've been harvesting my Cuban oregano and I make seasoned salts. And so I think it's possible. I may have talked about this, but P- I talk about my salt all the time. Cilantro salt, pizza, salt, you know, whatever. Well, I made a new one that is, um, basically like an, it's the Cuban oregano, but it's like a oregano seasoning and I put lemon and garlic and onion and some peppers. And so I've been using that in my, um, I wow. used it on our stuff that we ate tonight. Well, it was fabulous too. tonight, yeah. yeah. So tonight was another one. I mean, cause like I'm getting busy. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was busy, but. I'm really busy. And so all of a sudden, I was coming home last night. I had been to the farmer's market to pick up some stuff for the um, summer solstice. On my way home, I was like, oh, I haven't even planned our Thursday you know, dinner idea. I hadn't really thought about it at all. And I was like, I have no idea what I even had. But I had a ginormous zucchini, which I don't usually let them get ginormous. And whenever they get to a certain size, I make zucchini chips with my
1: dehydrator. Mm-hmm. Do you have a dehydrator? I don't, but I'd love to have one.
0: You should have one because they are really, because even if you have to take like kale from the grocery store or zucchini, a big chunk of whatever, they're so good to make those salty snacks. And that's been one of the things that's been like helpful to me with the food is medicine, autoimmune protocol diet type stuff is having the fulfillment, the satisfaction exactly. of yeah. a sweet or a snack or a whatever. And those zucchini chips have become, mm. so most of the zucchinis that I'm, cause a lot of people would say, if you take a big zucchini, you're going to make a zucchini bread out of it. Well, I don't eat bread anymore. I'm mean, I not not eat anything with grains, any, I'm not even, I don't care about baking and I'm not going to deal with that. So I'm not making zucchini bread. so what do you do with this thing? And uh, and I had some lamb again. It's become the season of lamb apparently because I'm cooking a lot of lamb right now. But lucky me. Yeah, it was really good. And so I pulled up this recipe and I found that the recipe was from Australia because it had a lot of measurements that we Americans don't know. (laughs) So it had things like um, put your oven at 150 degrees Celsius. And I was like, I'm just going to put it at 350, Okay. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, 40 grams, you called out 40 grams of olives. And I was, you're like, I don't know what 40 grams is. Like, I don't know what 40. I can Google it, you know, or yep. whatever. But, um, so it was, a um, an Australian recipe, the different, the biggest difference, I did a little, everything a little bit different. It's, um, a large zucchini, which I just cut the large zucchini in half. I actually cut it in four sections. And then scoop the seeds out and then scoop the meat out as much of the meat out as i could and then you put your oil down on your pan you put that in your oven for 150 degrees celsius or 350 degrees uh, fahrenheit uh, put that in your oven and you let that cook for about 20 minutes in the meantime You've got your red onions, garlic, uh, I mint. I would have liked to have had a little bit more mint because it called for two tablespoons of mint, and I actually only had a few little sprigs. And I think that would have made a difference because I love it was mint.
1: Pretty scrumptious.
0: It was, it was pretty was. scrumptious. You're right. And then fresh oregano. But then I also used some of my oregano seasoning that I was mentioning a few minutes ago. The olives, which I th- I would have been surprised. I would have probably in the old days I would have left olives out because I but now I eat olives and everything olives actually became one of the foods that I could go to any restaurant that had olives and I could eat their olives during the autoimmune like the strict part of the autoimmune and then it also had on here uh red capsicum I don't even know if I know how to pronounce that word but you know you know y'all know what I'm talking about it's like the pepper Capsicum, basically is what they're saying but they're calling it. That's what they're calling it in the recipe is a pepper, a red pepper and a yellow pepper. So I used a, um, um, paprika, a dried paprika pepper that I had grown last year. I used a Serrano pepper. Did you notice it was too spicy? No, it was perfect. It was perfect. And then I used one other little banana pepper as well. And so I used those, of course, the lamb, uh, two tablespoons of tomato paste, the salt and pepper I used, or I didn't use any pepper, but the salt that I used was the um, oregano seasoning salt. It called for um, some crumbles of feta and then some mozzarella on top. And because I haven't really gone down the road of dairy yet, I decided, okay, I'm not doing dairy, but we used some of the nutritional yeast. So that had that little Parmesan flakiness on top of it. And that was excellent. And then you actually made our salad tonight, used all the ingredients we had here. So tell us what, tell us what
1: all was in our salad. Cucumbers cut up. Um, I cut up the grapes.
0: Yeah, a few little grapes yeah. that we've been tasting. Yeah. That how, how were the grapes? So oh, they
1: were wonderful. Little, yeah, tiny, little tiny, tiny table grapes that yeah, we got yeah. out of the, yeah. Very sweet. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Fresh basil just pulled fresh off. Fresh basil that you, get. Yeah. So you
1: cho- she chopped up the fresh basil, suggested figs. Yes. And yeah, okay, yeah. we've got figs. Figs were beautiful. Those were great. And then the was that it and then yes. that
0: and then the dressing and then that the you dressing made. Was yes,
1: your honey. Yes, which was spectacular. Yes, um, and then a little bit of lemon juice and just a little bit of lemon juice and that was it. Put it over the top of the
0: arugula because yeah. that's become my new favorite. Like fancy yeah. salad is it's just top just, the arugula, top arugula something. with whatever you're yeah. putting on it. Yeah. Now the honey is a big deal because the. Beekeepers have been keeping their bees out here since March of 2022. So these bees have been out here for one whole year. And this was the first pull of honey that we've had from them. And um, so the farm will just get a little bit, but I got to taste the honey from two different um, screens, I guess, what do we call the screens that they use? One of them, one of the honeys was kind of dark brown and it had a little bit of a woody flavor to it, like more of a mesquite type of flavor. But then, the, what you had a taste of tonight was another. They'd given me one that was mostly the comb, and so what they said was, isn't, and they go, "We're gonna get you on the comb." Basically, you they chew like honeycomb, kind of like you're chewing gum, but you chew honeycomb and then you you know throw the honeycomb out. But in the meantime, it's got the delicious flavor of the honey in it. So they gave me the section of honeycomb that had a little bit of this honey in it, and it is super clear, oh yeah, extremely clear, and then this extremely
1: floral flavor and you called it do you remember what you called it just so light and bright i just it was just like this little tinkle bell honey it was just fabulous yeah so i'm
0: curious i can't wait to see what comes out of like the whole i don't if they mix it if they have like if it's all one at the end of the day i'm curious to see they're going to be on an episode in the future so we'll hear more about the honey so last week we did the red wine vinegar This week, I wanted you to taste the honey. I wanted us to be able to talk about the honey. Um, But again, it's still going back with the same delicious cucumbers, figs, Mm -hmm. grapes, Mm -hmm. all of that fresh summer stuff, all stuff that you're going to run into at the June 21st summer solstice Mm -hmm. event. If you come out here, of course, Mm -hmm. we're going to do some tasting of that kind of stuff too. So we talked about it over dinner. We talked about it while we were cooking. And of course, right at the beginning of the podcast, this concept that it's a bit challenging for our culture to talk about death. You got brought to my attention as somebody that has experience. First of all, tell me a little bit about your actual work that you do. And then tell me a little bit more about why you think it is that our culture doesn't talk about
1: death. So I, um, a trained and certified end-of-life doula through ANELDA, uh, which is an acronym for the International End-of-Life Doula Association. And I found them um, after uh, becoming a grief coach, mm-hmm. focused on um, those who were uh, trying to live with a life-changing diagnosis and their caregivers. Um, and that followed... Um, many years ago, I was also a hospital chaplain uh, mm-hmm. in the oncology department of our Driscoll Children's Hospital mm-hmm. here um, because I found comfort there. My late husband had died a few years before that. He had um, acute myeloid leukemia. He died when our twins were a year and a half old. His last 11 months were spent at MD Anderson. And uh, I did get him home to die He, when he was tired of being as he put it uh, being an experiment he wanted me to take him home so yeah. we move I moved everybody back home but my point is is that those 11 months um, I often say when I speak to groups that there was no one there to help Eddie know how to die and there was no one there to help teach me how to help him die mm-hmm. and we went from husband wife to patient nurse, Mm -hmm. uh, while I'm also trying to be a mom of little boys who are crawling around on the floor trying to learn about living. And when Eddie was home from the hospital, you know, I'd, I'd have him on one sofa dying. Although I wasn't admitting that to myself then Mm -hmm. because that concept haven't had not even been introduced into a conversation for us, uh, which was very short sighted on their part. Um, And then I had these children who were learning how to walk by pulling themselves up on the sofa on the other side of the room. And it was a very surreal experience. Um, And Eddie shut down. He, um, I realize now, many years later, that it was so hard for him to be in that room with his children Mm. because he knew he was dying, but he wasn't telling me he knew he was dying because... He wanted me to stay strong and raise our children. And he was afraid of having that conversation with me. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, did not realize that's what he was feeling. um, And I was angry with him. You were angry with him during the time that it was happening? Well, when he would be released from the hospital, which was not all that often, but uh, when he was and he would be there, he would be out in the living room Most often when the boys were taking a nap and then the minute I would go in and get them and bring them out, he would then go back into the bedroom and close the door. And that I couldn't believe that he didn't want to spend every single solitary second in front of his children. Yeah. So many years later, I realized it was just gut wrenchingly hard for him to do that. Right. Right. And um, so I'm getting mad at him and then yeah. saying in my narrative in my head is how do you tell a man who's dying that you're mad at him? Right. You don't.
0: You feel guilty. <clears> now you're right. dealing with guilt on right. top of shame, on so, top of all the other yeah. things. Yeah.
1: So we and I even called MD Anderson and I said, is there a support group? Is there somebody uh-huh. that we can talk to that I can talk to to figure out how to do this better? And there was not one the short of it is, is we, we did all of that. Um, it wasn't horrible, but it just, I could have made it so much more sacred for Eddie. Yeah. I could have made it,
0: um, I love the word sacred. So I think that's much more so beautiful. Important I could have introduced, explain.
1: I could have introduced ritual. Mm-hmm. I could have, um, created, I could have gotten him home sooner even and yeah. just had people come over and visit. I could have climbed up into bed with him yeah. instead of waiting until the very last minute to do that. Yeah. I could have, those last three weeks, I realized only recently that those last three weeks when we were at home here in Corpus, Uh that um, I, all I really did those last three weeks was wait for my husband to finally die because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, Except bathe babies, feed babies, play with babies, Uh and then clean his mouth sores, keep his bed clean. But I, I, but we could have still had conversation. I could Mm -hmm. have still said things to him. I Mm -hmm. could have, Dressed the room in a certain way. You know, there could have been music that he enjoyed listening to the lighting could have been a certain way. Um, I could have had the boys on the bed with him while we, I mean, the, you know, Mm -hmm. we could have been there. Uh, it just could have been written much, much differently. So now I find myself an end of life doula and that's part of what we do is we show up to the space with a dying person and, um, we learn who they are so Mm -hmm. that we can give their families and them, um, a much more beautiful and, um, aware kind of experience because when we lose someone, when someone dies, that changes, the sorrow changes us neurologically. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and so, and whatever that experience is, good or bad, Becomes part of our experiential library that has something to do with who we become as emotional beings. Yes, and I completely get that with with the traumatic events and experiences mm-hmm. I've had
0: up in this point. Mm-hmm. I understand the correlation that you're making when someone passes. I haven't ha- my, the people that have passed in my life have not have been kind of secondary people that I loved mm-hmm. and I was close to, but it wasn't my closest people—a mm-hmm. partner, a child, a mm-hmm. parent, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so I can only say that in other types of traumatic events, I can see how they shift everything about who I am.
1: We needed a guide. We needed somebody to come in and and make us hold hands and say, Mm -hmm. okay, she's feeling some things. He's feeling some things. Mm -hmm. It's okay to share those things Mm -hmm. and you can do this together this, this
0: conversation reminds me of the sex conversation. It's like, there are certain things we just can't talk about. We don't get taught about it by our parents. We don't get taught about it by, from our grandparents. We don't get, we don't. And so we end up in unsafe situations or scary situations or whatever, guilty situations, because we move into these situations with no
1: guidance, no knowledge. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, teaching children about sex does not will not get them pregnant mm-hmm. any more than having a conversation about dying and death will kill you.
0: That's very good. Those are like, yeah, we, we need to talk about these things. Talking about this is not going to cause pregnancy. Talking about this is not going to make you die. Right? right. So right. saying the words, I am going to die someday, doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow. Um, I think that... it's just
1: enlightenment. I mean, sometimes enlightenment is scary. Mm-hmm everything is a teachable moment, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I, uh, what I find with families after somebody who has died, their loved one has died and we have, um, sort of this ritual, um, created and some people do it and some people don't, but very often people are very interested taking warm washcloths and, and cleaning their loved one's face and, um, neck and their hands and their arms and um just talking to them, mm-hmm. just letting their spirit and their soul leave the space and say goodbye mm-hmm. and really be a part of that final journey with them. Mm-hmm. And um people don't know they can do that. I mean, time and time again when I introduce that as a possibility, mm-hmm. they're amazed that they have they any rights. They're amazed that they don't have to call somebody immediately to take the body away. You can have your loved right. one there for many, many hours if you choose to. Mm-hmm. There's no law that says you have to call somebody right away Mm -hmm. to pronounce the body dead.
0: I think that's one of the things that I have found most fascinating about everything that I've dealt with and a lot of the things I talk about in general on the podcast, but as it relates to the healthcare industry and everything, the school system, really any of the systems is that like, we don't know that we have more right to speak up for ourselves i hate the word right because i I mean who gives you the right (laughs) that's a weird way to say it anyways but the idea that like i can ask for what i need and sometimes i think one of the biggest things is because we haven't had these conversations about sex and about death and about the we don't even know what to ask and that question at the beginning where it said um don't overwhelm me. Basically. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a huge part of it when you're alongside, uh, someone that's the caregiver of someone that's passing away. It's like, you don't even know what to do to help them or to even ask. I don't even know what the right question to even ask. And I think that, I think it's similar to what well, not think I know that it's similar to, I acted as a birth and postpartum doula. And the idea of the doula, I would often just say, it's like, I'm just somebody here who has. Asked, been asked a lot of questions. Who's asked a lot of questions? Who's been through this process personally more than once? Who's been through it with other people more than once? And so I'm someone that can just kind of help as questions come up. That so it's not like the the doula, the the birth doula wasn't really doing anything other than just simply being there for what you needed. Is that the yeah, feeling?
1: exactly. So we have to end of life doulas show up and meet people wherever they are. And that moves through the relationship, you know? Um, so you the, mean the moves co- like well, when somebody
0: makes a decision that they're actually in hospice or they're already oh, in I, a terminal situation or? I,
1: yeah, I end of life doulas, um, the sooner they show up in somebody's story, the better it is mm-hmm. because then we have time to create that relationship and, mm-hmm. and do some things, do legacy work. If we are going to do legacy work to create a, a vigil for last days, um, to um, create scenarios where perhaps one needs to ask for forgiveness, or maybe one needs to bestow forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps there's a relationship within the family that, you know, somebody would like to, to leave this earth, having taken care of a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and as end of life doulas are also often able to help families realize when hospice should be called in because mm-hmm. very often people wait too late. I waited too late. I, uh-huh. I waited until 48 hours before Eddie died, if maybe even less than that. Because
0: mm-hmm. um, we think that hospice, and this is what we learned, of course, when when Joe's mom was passing and then just other situations I've been in and in the industry I worked in for a little while too, but we learned that a lot of times people think in our culture that hospice means it's over like tomorrow rather than it's you know there's we don't really know when it's over but this is a time for us to have space to right i mean is that yeah
1: hospice has um become medicalized i mean it's covered Mm -hmm. by insurance uh and and they have to see a certain number of people in a day i only work with one Family at a time. Most mm-hmm. doula's only work with one family at a time. If, if death is imminent, um, and maybe more than one if if you're coming into somebody's story closer to diagnosis, um, but uh, hospice can can definitely come in and do some wound care, some some bathing, bath, uh, you know, bed bathing. And that's not something um, you do. That's no, I don't do right. anything medical. I'm right. not. I'm non medical, yeah. holistic, emotional. Spiritual support, mm-hmm. whatever that's defined by that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, I show up in somebody's story and they um, don't believe they're dying. Mm-hmm. They still want to do a lot of work to stay here, mm-hmm. um, even though their prognosis probably isn't pretty good. But it's not my place to say, look, your prognosis isn't pretty good. We're going to, you know, you really have to latch on to the idea. So, what I mean by uh, meeting people where they are and how that progresses and changes is. Uh, sometimes an end-of-life doula will show up in someone's space and they're in denial, which Mm -hmm. is okay. Mm -hmm. Right. A denial is a safe place. Mm -hmm. It allows you to only cope with what you can manage to cope with. And, um, and that's where we meet them.
0: And I think that overwhelm is a huge, like understanding where someone's at. And you mentioned earlier which led me over to talk a little bit about The Course in Miracles as the same concept, and that is that the one of the number one things that doulas are taught is to listen. Mm-hmm. You have to listen.
1: Deep, active listening. Have those conversations be vertical.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: um, we ask hard questions. I mean, mm-hmm. we ask questions uh, that very often are not asked. Um, we help people realize the um, richness of their lives because a lot of the fear around death is not feeling like your life has been valuable. Yeah. And very often people forget how valuable they are. Yeah, (laughs) I understand. Yeah. So um, that's part of what we do. We ask questions that help them go back and realize the importance of their lives. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot to do with stripping away the fear and then finding themselves in a place where they're ready to do some work, Mm -hmm. um, leaving behind letters for loved ones, I have a client right now where we have, he has letters written for, um, all of his children Mm -hmm. and a couple of his best friends and I'm holding them Mm -hmm. and, um, God, uh, what a
0: responsibility.
1: Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Then Mm -hmm. they, then they sort of, then, you know, very often when they get to that place where they're ready Mm -hmm. and they've, um, said what they needed to say, they felt what they needed to feel. We've created, um, Guided imagery sessions, which are wonderful sessions to create with people about places that were special for them, um, we use that as pain management, um, and they feel like they ha- they're ready to go. I mean, we plan parties, we plan solstice mm-hmm. events, mm-hmm. we plan um, soccer games. You know, we put all this time and effort into planning these important events in our mm-hmm. life because they matter to us. Mm-hmm. Well, my God, every single one of us will die. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we paying attention to the most important event Mm -hmm. every single one of us will attend, regardless of color of skin or who we fall in love with or whether we have an education or we don't have an education? It's just such an important time. And when people realize and they understand they get to value that Mm -hmm. and um, create sacredness around it and importance around it and they can bring their loved ones bedside, um, it's a beautiful thing
0: it speaks to me on such a deep level. When I've gone through the process, my friend Lisa died at the end of the year. Last year, Joe's mom, Sharon died at the end of the year. Last year, I was in this extremely sensitive space Mm -hmm. of being with people as they were passing over and that they had called me to be with them. Mm -hmm. I, I knew it energetically that they had called me to be with them through these experiences. And, it, when you talk about being a chapel, when you talk about, um, I, I noticed that you really loved Kai Shin, my dog, you know, I can, <laughs> um, I, when I mentioned some of this stuff, talking about the doula and, you know, having an interest in some of the work that you've done, you mentioned that there, that women of service, that mm-hmm. doulas, there's a, because I imagine myself to be a doula, mm-hmm. like that's what I am. Mm-hmm and whether i'm helping a woman with her first child or whether i'm helping um a dad that's trying that single dad that's trying to learn how to 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 walk with his you know young daughter and hold her hand you know like Mm -hmm. whatever or whether it's somebody that's trying to learn better how to do a better diet or whether it's somebody who's actually passing And dealing or whether it's somebody who's dealing with a a new path in the medical industry you know there's the there's there's people that have this ability to kind of you know share our own personal experiences and then hold the hands of people and it's it's (sighs) uh You mentioned earlier when you were talking about needing to have a conversation with somebody and, and wanting to have the courage to have the conversation with somebody that you put on your doula hat. Mm-hmm. And I understand that completely because I think a lot of times people that don't know, um, people that have a doula personality, they we literally have this ability to just like, like okay, my my personal reflection of the big, bold Aislinn that exists out there. Needs to be put away right now. Correct. Because right. what needs to come out right now is, um, I'm only here to help and serve you. Right. Wherever yeah. it is you are, wherever it is you are. Mm-hmm. But it at the level of it's not, um, it's not the cleaning the wounds and the, administering the the comfort medicines. It is literally just offering solace in a moment to everyone and and being a guide. Exactly. Being a guide. Exactly. Tell me how people can get in touch with somebody that can help them with this, whether it's you or anyone else that could sure. And how and how do you know when's the time? And how like sure. How do you even because that was that was a big deal with um Joe's mom and everyone else that I've been involved with in any of this? And even while I worked in the senior industry, it's like no one knows when there's the right time to really start having these conversations. How do you know when?
1: And who do you call? (laughs) So you have the conversations right now. Mm -hmm. You start having the conversations right now. Uh, when do you consider bringing a, an end of life doula into the story? I've had somebody call me almost immediately after getting diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I've also been asked in by a friend for a friend and, uh, she, I met her the day she became non-responsive. So I've had one end of the spectrum of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you bring, I mean, I would have loved to have had somebody with us the entire 11 months I was in at, while Eddie was at MD Anderson. Mm-hmm. And that relationship can be that long. Mm-hmm. You, you know, hospice is really brought in at the end when you've decided that no more treatment is going to happen, regardless of mm-hmm. how long your body decides to, to stay to here stay. after that. okay. But yeah. an end of life doula can be brought in at any time. Mm-hmm. And um, the minute you start thinking, I don't know how to do this or I need help doing this, that's when you find one. And um, I here in Corp, my, the name of my practice is Together Forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is togetherforwarddoula.com. Mm-hmm. But I've also had people find me and reach out to me and I help them find doulas in their own communities, mm-hmm. in other cities. Anelda, um, who I was certified through Anelda, what does that stand for? The, the International End of Life Doula Association. Okay, yeah,
0: I'm curious. I want to look at. I want to look yeah, into they what have, that's all about. If you go about. to
1: their website, they have a doula directory, mm-hmm. and um, you pop in your zip code, and they will see if there's a, a doula trained through them in mm-hmm. your vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: I think that that's an extremely important thing for people to know about. And I think that there's been enough conversations at the dinner table now over end-of-life situations where I'm hopeful that the people that show up at the dinner table um, know that they have minimally people to support them through things like this and of course you can always reach out to me and I can help make a connection with you absolutely Martha or whomever um could be helpful to you with that as well so we're gonna do something a little bit different tonight normally we do the random question Um, but tonight, Martha is going to ask another one of the questions now, Martha, in order to keep it in line with kind of how we do it, you'll have to answer the question as well. So, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll both answer the question.
1: Okay. So I'm picking another card from the death deck Mm -hmm. and it says, when you are dying, what will matter most? A, comfort and freedom from pain. B, having my loved ones by my side or C, spiritual support in transitioning to the other side i don't know if i can pick honestly yeah see
0: because to me that's mind, body spirit literally exactly (laughs) that's that's exactly what that is
1: yeah yeah because my spirit is going to be a huge part of it for me although some people like to be alone i mean i've i've had some but i've you know i've i have had a client who has um wanted to be alone in the room when she moved from here to there And it was a very, uh, spiritual thing for her.
0: I kind of understand that. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. I don't know what I would want in that moment. I really don't know. And I, and the reason I know that is because well, birth is a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, other major accidents have been a good example for me. You know, um, I don't like being touched. So if somebody was petting me, mm-hmm. um, I remember when I had a major accident uh, when I was a child and then when I was pregnant and 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 dealing with things and having birth and whatever, people touching me mm-hmm. was too much mm-hmm. for me. It was just overwhelming for me to be touched. So I think that there's going to be, I think I imagine it will come in phases for of me, course, but yeah. mind, body, spirit, like I'm going to want my loyal, I'm gonna, my mind is going to want to be loyal to my family for the moment that I can. Um, my spirit is gonna want to be with my spirit because it's not even gonna be afraid and it's gonna be ready to go on, you know. And I'm also gonna wanna do it all in the most comfortable fashion. I'm right. not gonna wanna be in pain. Right. You know, because if I'm in pain, then I can't focus on my loved ones and my spirit, you know. Right. And yeah. I think that the uh I think some of the work with the Course of Miracles is probably gonna be helpful in understanding that kind of stuff and breaking it out in mm-hmm. different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for being at the dinner table with me tonight. Thank Pleasure. you. It's been great to be a good uh, friend of yours in the community and know you and to be reintroduced to you again to this. And I, um, I look forward to finding out how do I fit, I mean, this stage of my life, all of these things have been coming up in an interesting way that like, what is it that God is presenting for me to be involved with? But I know for one thing is for sure, it's a woman of service mm-hmm. and it's a woman doula with the, mm-hmm. the nature of having a doula. And what I think probably will happen more than anything else is what probably has already happened for me and that, in that is that I'm willing to have the conversations. So the doors are open. Um, and so that people can trust me to, um, be there for them if they need it as a fam- close family member or close friend. Mm-hmm. Um, And or they can trust me to help them find somebody because I've been open about the conversations and willing to talk about things that people don't normally want to talk about. And that's what
1: people realize when you're in conversation with other people on hard topics: is oh, there's someone else who wants to talk about this too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do, and I'm willing. And it sounds like you do, and you're willing. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to it. Thank
1: you, Martha, so much for coming
0: and being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys, all so much for coming and joining us at the dinner table. Um, a little bit more of a somber subject, but at the same time, death card. We're laughing at the dinner table. We're enjoying each other's company. So hopefully, you're laughing at the dinner table and you're having those silly conversations too. You know, if y'all go back old episodes, you will hear me talking about being burned in a fu- funeral pyre with lavender and all kinds of you know. So it's okay to have the silly conversations, um, but also have those deeper conversations and that's what we did tonight if you're listening to this on youtube if you would please subscribe to my channel if you're enjoying the content that i'm up to tell a friend about the podcast share what you're hearing on the dinner table about all kinds of things that like martha and i talked about and other things that we're talking about in the past and if you want to support the podcast with your finances that really really helps me be able to continue to do what i'm doing Go to dinnertabletalks.com. At the top, you'll see a place where it says support the podcast. Click the button, throw a couple of bucks at me. I appreciate you all for everything that you do and for showing up every week. Thanks for sharing your life with me. I continue to share it with you. See you soon. Bye.